Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Keith and Adrian Segundo, the co-founders of Limitless Association Solution Resource, a strategic association management company. And this is a unique episode for us because it's our first four-way conversation. Jeff, you and I both talk with Keith and Adrian. Yep, and we focus our four-part conversation on credentialing, as that's where the Segundos do a lot of work. Their AMC, Limitless, specializes in credentialing, and they have a lot of expertise in credentialing. So we ask about what they think everyone working in a learning business should understand about credentialing and pick their brains for advice on best practices and mistakes to avoid in credentialing. And we also touch on the skills gap, workforce development issues, the future of badging, and a review site that they have in beta for testing and certification services. So a really rich episode here. And without further ado, let's roll this interview, this four-part conversation with Adrian and Keith Segundo. Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb. And I'm Salisa Steele, and today Jeff and I are joined by Adrian and Keith Segundo, making this our first four-way conversation for the podcast. The Segundos are co-founders of Limitless Association Solution Resource, a strategic association management company that specializes in credentialing. Adrian brings to that work extensive experience in exam development, accreditation, advanced credentialing, and the marketing of credentials. And Keith specializes in helping Limitless clients grow in areas of membership, non-dues revenue, marketing, accreditation counseling, certification and certificate program development, and more. Adrian and Keith, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, thank you guys. We're really excited to be here today. Well, we're excited too to have this this first uh, four-way conversation and uh, compare some notes about what we're seeing out there in the world. But to start off with, um, we want to give you a chance to say a bit more about yourselves and, and your work. What else would you want to highlight for listeners? And Adrian, I'll, I'll ask you first about that. Sure. You know, just I, I think at the end of the day, we're we're association people. We have sat in the seat of sta- as staff for over 20 years um, and now having our own business um, guiding associations, nonprofits, um, even chambers of commerce on the best way to build uh, some kind of 
education that has some assessment that is just has that umph and that value uh, to the industry that you serve is just such a pleasure for us. And so, you know, as we go through, you know, answering some of these questions through this podcast, but also, you know, within our respective businesses, we love what we do. And uh, we just want to make the association or, you know, trade associations uh, a better place with what we do. And Keith, anything you'd add to that? Uh, yeah, actually, just to echo and piggyback a little on what Adrian said is we are truly association professionals. And for those of you who aren't familiar with association professionals, we run businesses. Um, we are essentially, we, we actually, Limitless is a for-profit organization that manages nonprofits. Um, we are used to working with board structures and so on, which is how um, many publicly traded corporations operate. So we love the space. Actually, some of our clients that we have are nonprofits, um, whether they be in the association space, the chamber, or just the pure nonprofit sense, even foundations. Um, and we also work with folks who are for-profit as well. So anything you hear today, you may hear us refer to as associations and associations. In your mind, if you are not an association professional, hear business, because business is done the exact same way. The only difference is, is as associations and nonprofits, we have a little unique space where there are tax laws involved. However, operating a business is operating a business. Um, and we are 20-year professionals apiece in the profession. We volunteer a tremendous amount of our time. Um, I actually sit on the board currently as the Colorado Society of Association Executives President, and that is a volunteer position. And Adrian chairs multiple committees as well throughout um, many groups of the nonprofit space. Well, great. Well, thanks for adding that, uh, Keith. And, you know, you guys are busy people because in addition to the the volunteering you were just talking about, and in addition to the fact that you're co-founders of Limitless, you're also co-founders of the National Credentialing Institute, and that's a pretty new initiative. Um, But would you just tell us a little bit about what this institute is and what need or opportunity did you see that prompted you to create the National Credentialing Institute? And and Keith, I'm going to throw that one to you to tackle. Absolutely. Okay. This is where I get super geeky and excited. So bear with my enthusiasm here. Um, We had a conversation with a colleague of ours, um, Dot Miller, and she is the CEO of an association management company in Colorado called The Solution. Um, Adrian, Dot, and I had a strong conversation because we realized there's a need for education in our profession. And yes, we, and, and when I say our profession, I look at more the association chamber nonprofit world. And this is where it started. Long story short with this, we realized that there's an exam called the CAE exam, and it is a credential. Well, with that being said, if there's a qualification, you have an eligibility and so on. We have a lot of new folks coming in from their respective industries to manage these groups. They did not have the knowledge base, the skill set in certain areas like financial management. They didn't know how to read a balance sheet. And they're a CEO of a multi-million dollar organization. So we decided, hey, let's help them. But then we said, okay, break that CAE exam down into multiple domains because this is pure business. And that is where things started to shift from the nonprofit mindset to an overall mindset. However, with a main focus in the nonprofit realm. So we broke the CAE exam down. Um, We shared our entire business plan with the American Society of Association Executives. And they were actually um, very receptive that we would help them build more qualified CAE candidates, which was an exciting piece for us. But then we realized the same space needed folks in 
chambers and so on. And then we realize, okay, well, we're going to take this to the next level and actually create the association's industry standard for diversity and inclusion. And we built a micro-credential around that. So the entire organization is broken down into 14 micro-credentials currently that focus on business-related issues. Four associations, four chambers, for the nonprofit space, and actually even for the for-profit world, um, from financial management to governance to operations, all different pieces of the puzzle. Then we realized we are typically just engaging folks nationally throughout the United States, um, and we're not focusing on global. So we actually reached out to colleagues from other Society of Association execs to get the business perspective. The reason we refer to associations is associations work with businesses. They either represent trade um, or professional industries. So as we're moving forward, we get those folks on board and we're doing it, building these platforms from a global perspective and global knowledge. However, it's short, quick burst for folks who don't have the time to sit there for hours and hours and get 120 hours of CE. They can actually sit through on-demand webinars under an hour, most of them, they can get their continuing education credits for the industries they need it for because we are getting them vetted through um, ASAE and different groups for CEUs. And on top of it, they can actually gain knowledge. We'll have a resource library with white papers and resources for them to continue to grow. And if they choose to demonstrate their competency, they can sit for an exam that will be on demand that will be accredited and actually done in the sense of a remote proctor. So it can, accessibility goes through the roof. Essentially, we are really trying to forge forward and define the true way to properly do micro-credentials, which Limitless does. However, putting our money where our mouth is and changing our space and realizing that it goes beyond the association and chamber and nonprofit realm, but also touches on for-profit. Wow, that's uh, that's fascinating um, to to hear sort of all the work that's going into breaking down that CAE into these smaller components. You said fourteen micro credentials, um, and uh, it sounds like with a real emphasis on trying to make it as uh, easy as possible for the learners to have the time to be able to allocate to that learning to give it to them in in that sort of chunk size that they can digest in the moment. And as fun as that sounds, Elise, I will tell you that the interesting part for us, and, and we knew this going in, but most people don't realize to build a micro-credential, you still have the same vigorous process as you do to build a credential. Mm. You must get everything done. We have psychometric oversight. We are working through every piece of this um, from the proper LMS to everything that most folks need as they're developing a full-blown credential. So essentially, when we talk about the CAE exam or any type of three-letter designation, we're building 14 of them simultaneously. Mm. So fortunately, it's what our company does for a living limitless. So it makes it very easy to follow these protocols, but it is a vigorous process. Mm. Good point that uh, even though they're, they're smaller credentials, there's still that rigorous process to go with it. To help you in making the important decisions that underpin the rigorous processes in your learning business, we encourage you to check out our sponsor. Authentic Learning Labs is an e-learning company that offers products and services to help improve your current investments in education. One key product is Authentic Analytics, a dedicated suite of visualization reports to help analyze and predict the performance of education programs. 
Organizations use authentic analytics to easily scan through volumes of data and intuitive visuals, chart performance trends, and quickly spot opportunities, issues, and potential future needs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. And now, back to the interview as Salisa asks Adrian about the possibilities for badging. Adrian, I'm curious to get your perspective just kind of generally. What do you see as the possibilities for badging? Do you think there's going to be a, a big shakeup in the credentialing world? Is there already a big shakeup in the credentialing world because of, of the possibilities of micro-credentials? Absolutely. So I think it goes twofold. And, and on the take of the micro-credentials and NCI, I think the, the coolest part about this and how, how all these things intertwine is we really wanted to put what we would consider the future of learning at the hands of the end user, whoever that may be. Because I think of myself 20 years ago when I was sitting in a seat at an association management company learning one thing. And then the next thing you know, six months later, it's like, hey, you're now the executive director of this association. And I'm like, oh my God. I don't even understand all these key components. How nice would it have been to have this bite-sized learning at the palm of my hands in which then I can earn a credential or be assessed on my knowledge base? And so then you roll into digital badging. I think it, it hit the market really hard several years ago. And then some organizations you know, utilize some of these digital badgings to acknowledge someone's attendance at a meeting, which I don't think is the core of what digital badging's intent was. Mm. However, I just read an article that was published by Forbes magazine on the future of digital badging. And this is really cool. Our, our younger generations, our 9, 10, 11 year olds who are playing video games fully understand badging because each badge stacks upon each other that they earn within a video game. They have to accomplish, they have to have eligibility to get it. They have to accomplish certain things to then move up the, the chart with the ultimate goal being this big badge. So our kids are exposed to this world of badging and what it takes to earn it and also then demonstrate what they've earned, which will then transfer over into higher ed and then hopefully professional certifications. So in the world of certifications, micro-credentials, the digital badge is the perfect opportunity for organizations to take a look and say, you know what, this is a great way for someone to fully demonstrate the eligibility and what they had to do to uh, kind of get into uh, the certification, what they did to earn the certification, and how and what they need to do in order to maintain the certification. And all of this is represented within the digital badge. So they can you know, put that on their signature line within their email. They can put it on LinkedIn or any other types of social. And it's all built into the you know, technology behind the digital badge in a live sense. In addition to some of the more sophisticated digital badging um, systems also have where the badge itself can kind of start fading out um, as soon as their certification's coming up for renewal, um, or uh, since it's not just an idle image, it links back to the organization. So someone can't just put letters after their name, their badge actually links back to a system and they can't embed it unless it's actually live and active. And so there's all sorts of really cool technology and things out there that if an organization fully utilizes what digital badging was intended to and really puts it out there into the marketplace, I think it would be um, instrumental uh, to an organization to show 
you know, what someone has earned through the trade. So linking it back, our kids of, of tomorrow are going to 100% understand it and they're going to look for it. Um, and, you know, being that associations are, are really uh, adopting this type of technology, I think it's really going to represent well for micro-credentials or certifications alike. Well, and we, we've certainly seen a huge rise in interest. I, th- I think it was probably four or five years ago, at least, that we started talking about badging as part of our annual trends webinar and highlighted that as something that we thought was you know, really going to have impact. And um, it, it's taken a while, as it usually does, because uh, we work a lot with associations as well. And, and, and in that world, uh, things tend to take time. Um, but we're now seeing more and more organizations, both in the association world and in, and in other you know, uh, uh, areas of business, embrace badging. And, and I feel like along with the rise of badging, there's been kind of more talk about credentialing in general. And some of that's because of, you know, forces in the economy that maybe we'll have a chance to talk about here in a little bit. But I feel like when I go in and meet with boards, I meet with executive te- executive teams, even when I'm meeting with just the, you know, the staff um, uh, at an organization, there's often this sense that uh, we need to create a credential, we need to revamp our credential, we need to expand our portfolio of credentials. Um, everybody thinks that, you know, they need to be in the credential business uh, <laughs> at this point, which for me sort of throws up a little bit of a, a caution flag when, when you start hearing that sort of thing happening. So, Keith, I'm, I'll direct this at you. You know, what, what do you wish everyone working in a learning business, you know, from, from the board to the executive down to the frontline staff, you know, what do they really need to understand about credentialing? Oh, I could go on forever on this piece, but I promise you all I won't. I understand. <laughs> but this is a crucial component. The, the learning business, credentialing in general, folks need to understand that there's multiple outlets in learning. Um, you have certificates, you have credentials, you have degrees. The biggest piece of the puzzle for this is building qualified candidates for a job and continued competency with credentialing. Now, what does that mean? If we break this down, you can look at the average shelf life of a degree, and they say average, so it depends on the industry. Some are um, a little less and some are a little more, but it's 18 months. So when we have folks who get a degree and it literally takes them 12 months at best, to get a job after that degree. And then they turn around and the onboarding process with an organization is six months in. These folks are now ready to be free in the organization and do their job. Well, at that point, they've learned the soft skills internally, which was six month learning curve. These organizations are spending a fortune to get them to that level. Now what happens is that degree is one and done. The shelf life is over. It's technically just something that shows an accomplishment, but with no continued competency. We look at the certificate program. People get those confused with credentialing. A certificate program is one and done. So when we're talking about pure credentialing, you have a continued competency to grow within the profession. If a college degree has a shelf life of 18 months, a credential never expires as long as you continue your CEUs. And that is the biggest key. It keeps people alive, moving, and keeps not just the credential valid, but it it actually keeps the employee valid. If you break down how much associations and nonprofits like Chambers spend, you're in the upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars to train folks 
to keep them, keep really good qualified people. If we're looking at the for-profit space, we're talking millions of dollars to train folks. One organization um, in the nonprofit space I was speaking with actually loses every year. They spend, invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in folks and their turnover, because those folks move on, is even greater. So that, that's money in and out that's lost. If people build a credential, and especially micro-credentials where you have steps and a career ladder, well, now you're building value and keeping those qualified employees and offering incentive for them to continue. So when you look at credentialing, the one biggest piece I, I would love everyone to always think, if you're going to build a credential, build it right, psychometrically sound, make sure your accreditation's in place and it is legally defensible. That is the biggest key for any organization. And the soft skills people get and so on that is growing within the profession, that is a crucial component. It's not a one and done. And done properly, you're building a career ladder, which you're building a workforce. Well, so, uh, you know, Keith, you're beginning to, to get into what I wanted to ask as, as a next question, um, which is, you know, you're making a compelling case for um, while, why credentialing makes sense, you know, why it can help organizations save money while getting the, the type of employees with the skills that they need in place um, quicker and maintaining those skills over time. So if, you know, an organization buys into what you're saying, they see the advantage uh, of credentialing and maybe they want to get started with credentialing or maybe they're an organization that has the opportunity to kind of rethink um, their current approach to credentialing, you know, what advice would you have or what common mistakes would you uh, encourage them to avoid or or best practices to follow? And, And Adrian, I'll throw that one over to you. Sure. We have this conversation all the time um, with organizations. And and I use credentialing as a broad term because I think a lot of things can fall within that bucket. It could be a personal certification. It could be a business certification or accreditation. It could be certificate programs, short courses, whatever it may be that kind of has an assessment that links to it. Um, But one thing we always tell an organization is start off with market research and a feasibility study. See what your market can bear. See who is willing to pay for it, whether it's the individual or their employer or a combination of the two, Um, and also see if their industry finds value in something of that nature. Um, There's so many groups that that you have this conversation, and the the most common pitfall is board of directors or an education committee has all good intent that they want to build this professional certification because it's going to change the landscape of their organization, yet no one's willing to pay for it, Um, or the accessibility for an individual to get maybe to a testing center uh, to take the test is is not reasonable. Whatever the the different variations um, that could potentially come up that could be a barrier, I think those need to be identified with this market research beforehand. And, um, you know, just looking at the the big landscape of it all. But one thing that we we see all the time, so going through market research and kind of going through um, all of these different things, I think the biggest. Um, key component to that is determining what your industry needs and then building education um, for that. So if you're looking towards a professional certification, not just building a, a certification that has that golden handcuff that really proves that someone who takes this certification, why uh, they're, you know, why hiring someone of that or why someone would go for it um, and, and, you know, moving forward with that, but then also building an infrastructure of recertification resources, 
potential onboarding courses where corporations or other groups would utilize the association for that, and then building practice exams and tools and resources around it. Uh, being reliant on just the certification to sustain itself sometimes is, is hard because uh, there's a lot of expense that goes into that, but being creative um, and working with different companies and thinking and breaking the mindset of the traditional organization where you have to hire a testing company that has, you know, this massive overhead and you have to use, you know, computer-based testing centers and, you know, all these 50 different contracts for all these vendors. When in essence, that's another reason why the National Credentialing Institute was born is because we are trying to break that mindset that you don't need to go with all these high ticketed, um, services, so to speak, we can get really creative for the uh, association that may not have the, you know, multi-million dollar budget to develop a certification and actually build a certification where it's delivered through an LMS that is utilizing a remote proctor where someone can take a certification from the seat of their home where it is, uh, it has been vetted and approved through the American National Standards Institute as a secure process for test administration. Um, so there's all sorts of really fun and unique things, um, but just determining what meets the needs of your organization rather than just going with what has always been done. Well, and it seems like that, I mean, there's, there are forces behind all of this. And um, I think you alluded to some of them uh, a little while ago, um, Adrian, um, just in terms of, um, you know, w- wanting to keep people um, in, in a career path and, and involved in, in their industry. Um, and I think it's just general perception that things are are changing uh, so rapidly out there that um, that people you know do end up you know getting a degree and and the shelf life isn't very long. Keith, uh, you you mentioned that um, this having to keep up and then you know as that's occurring, um, employers are experiencing. Uh, problems with hiring. I mean, we hear all the time that they can't find the employees with the skills they want. So there's this, there's this perception out there of a skills gap. Um, there's this uh, perception that, you know, workforce development uh, is becoming in- increasingly important. Uh, we just had a good conversation with um, Scott Wiley, who's the CEO at the Ohio Society of uh, CPAs and was the you know, former uh, chair of ASAE. He's very focused on that. I know a lot of association CEOs are very focused on workforce development. It's a big driver, I think, behind this whole focus on credentialing um, that we're seeing right now. So I, I'd love to know your take on that whole skills gap issue, the, the workforce development issues, and you know the role that you uh, feel learning businesses can really be playing in, in addressing those issues. And I know that's a big big, fat, meaty question, but uh, Keith, I'll put it on your plate to see what you can do with it. Uh, Absolutely. And Jeff, wow. I mean, that is such a crucial piece here. I will tell you, I actually, as we've been working and developing these things, how things are coming together is exactly that. We actually work with workforce development. Um, The entity itself actually having these conversations on a regular basis in regards to, it depends on the group we work with, whether it's a state workforce development um, or national level. But essentially, um, that's the key component, finding qualified, skilled folks for the professions. There are so many professions. I was talking with someone from a, the Wallpaper Association, and they're like, we have such a need that we can't even get employees. People don't realize what a profession and what a direction career path they can have in this area. And that theme goes on and on and on. 
we have folks graduating from university, as I mentioned earlier, and that is wonderful. That's a great career path. But there's a new argument. Do we look at credentials prior to university or do we look at university prior to credentials? We're creating a chicken and the egg conversation here. So the best way to not go back and forth with an endless circular question that we never get out of is how about if universities understand, and this is where there's a beautiful sector for for for-profit and associations to play in a great space. How about we look at, if you are a for-profit looking for some great skilled, qualified candidates, look towards your associations, talk to your chambers, talk to the nonprofit groups that have the education, let's say, the credentials, and work with them. So what we are doing is we are actually having conversations with multiple universities now and saying, this is what we provide as an association for some of our groups that we manage. And we say, this is within your profession and your track of a degree, you're teaching broad knowledge, but there are not the soft skills involved. These folks have a a tremendous amount of demonstration of proof of knowledge and so on, but they don't have the job-ready skills that people need immediate. So the organizations, the for-profits, who are the members of the association sometimes, or the individuals who are members, are being hired, and now they have to invest six months at minimum to get this person up to speed, depending on the job. So if we're looking at that and break it down, we are partnering with a lot of universities now for some associations saying, put the credential as a strong option. If they come out there and actually take get your degree and come out of school with the credential simultaneously, we get them with the association. The association now says, here's a pool of our newest credentialed folks. These folks demonstrated soft skills and they have a degree and the association has a network to help get them employed. So we're seeing situations where it would take 12 months for someone to get employed and they are actually pulling, getting a job within six months. So if they're getting a job within six months, thanks to the university who partnered with the association, enrollment spikes at that university. So the universities are saying, why is enrollment spiking at school X when we offer the same programs? And they're realizing the association has a hand in that, which is helping the for-profit space have qualified employees. So there's this beautiful synergy that we can create. But again, we just have to walk away from the chicken and the egg conversation It's irrelevant to me whether you get your certification prior to your degree or your degree prior to your certification. The sooner you get those soft skills and can demonstrate knowledge and competency, whether it's a university degree or credential, the sooner you get employed. And the sooner you do that, you're building more qualified candidates and a stronger, more robust business or profession. So I I get excited about this, but this is why we work with workforce development on a lot of these issues. Well, and I think, you know, there's, there's such fertile ground for partnership there. I mean, what you're describing is, you know, a partnership between a credentialing provider, very often an association could be some other form of credentialing provider and a university. So that credential is baked into the degree. Um, I'm, on, I'm on the board of um, NIGP, which is the, um, the Institute for Public Procurement. And, and we've done this with our credential. It's baked into degree programs at um, Norwich University and uh, a couple of other universities. And we're expanding that. And, uh, you know, I think in, in terms of addressing the skills gap, in terms of addressing workforce development, I, a, that's very effective, and B, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. It sounds like you know, you're, you're seeing that in your work, so that's great to hear. If you're looking for a partner to help you grow your learning business, we suggest you check out our sponsor. 
Learningbusiness.com Partners helps learning businesses conceive, develop, and fulfill their online education strategy. Their solutions begin with Elevate LMS, an award-winning learning platform that provides a central knowledge community and drives learner engagement. To extend the value of Elevate, CompartNers provides a wide range of online education services, including curriculum design, instructional design, fully managed webinars, webcasts, live stream programs, and virtual conferences. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash CompartNers. And now back to the interview as Jeff asked Adrian about Review My Test, a new review site for certification services. Now, I want to switch gears just a, a little bit here, still definitely staying in this whole, you know, credentialing and, and certification type world, but um, we're both in, involved in uh, similar initiatives. Um, uh, you are uh, part of a, a, re, a review site um, for testing. Um, the review sites are also becoming, you know, a, a big thing these days, uh, along with people focusing on credentialing. This one's for, for testing. Um, testing, obviously, uh, very much plays a role in certification and credentialing. And yours is called Review My Test. That's in, in beta right now. Um, we happen to have a, a sister site called Review My LMS. So, you know, since we had the, the two of you on here, we couldn't, you know, resist asking about that. Um, so, Adrian, I'll, I'll ask you this time, you know, what, what role do you see for reviews um, in decision-making about uh, testing services? And I'd love to hear kind of what you've learned as you've uh, gone through this, uh, this beta process to get to review my test going. Sure, sure. So, you know, review my test concept came up when we were trying to have this mindset of how can a, a regular association, not the multi-million dollar, but maybe, you know, something under a million or less, um, afford testing services. And when you are on the consumer side as staff looking at probably one of the, the largest investments your organization can, can make, how do you know who to go with? You know, how do you know what the right services are? How do you, how do you know, you know, just anything that's out there within the testing world? And, and personally, I think it's probably, like I said before, it's one of the, the largest investments an organization can make. And so having an understanding and personally making all my purchasing decisions based on reviews of other consumers, we thought bringing review my test to the certification or any, any testing services industry, education provider industry would be of service to the consumer. And so one thing we've learned is that it goes beyond just the testing companies, the big conglomerates that are out there. There's other testing services of all sorts that are within, whether it's, you know, support services, consultant groups, um, you know, uh, psychometricians or, or the actual delivery vendor itself. And so now as we're going through it and having these really good conversations with reviewers, um, adding some of these other drop-down boxes within our, our review sites is, is what's an up-and-coming next. Hence why it's still in beta. Um, but we do feel that we want this to be a go-to resource for anyone that's in the you know, learning business that's looking for some kind of testing service of the sort and to utilize this review site to make that big purchasing decision. Well, great. And it sounds like you're learning things and that you're being actively involved with the, the people who are providing the reviews and, and helping to, to shape that uh, review my test and kind of where it goes, which sounds Great and like an amazing resource. Um, and so again, you know, we just switched gears to talk about reviews. We want to switch gears a little bit uh, again and 
kind of pick up, you know, so, you, you know, we've been talking about what you guys are doing with the National Credentialing Institute. We've been talking about workforce development and, and the skills gap issues. We've been talking about review sites, you know, so this is kind of a, a broad question to uh, allow you to encompass all that we've talked about or, or to take us even in a new direction. But when you think big picture about what's on the horizon for learning businesses and, and credentialing, I'm really curious to know what excites you most. And, and Keith, I'm going to throw that one over to you. Absolutely. Oh, there's so many areas I can talk about here. Um, but to narrow it down, I would say um, micro-credentialing excites me most. And one of the reasons this excites me in the learning space is we are oversaturated. We don't have time. And this is something we hear all the time. And the more people say they don't have time and the more time progresses and technology enables us to have access, the less time we have because we are doing more than we ever have. So now with micro-credentialing, you can actually take under an hour micro-burst learning sessions and continue to grow on demand. Accessibility, as Adrian mentioned, with a paper and pencil test where you have to go on site, that is valid. And we're not saying to go away from that. But we have tons of data where if you don't have an option for remote proctoring, where folks can actually have accessibility, you don't have as many folks sitting for these exams. And what does that mean? It's not just about the exam. It's about a demonstration of knowledge. It's about growing folks to the next level and changing these professions. So what excites me is so many pieces of that, about that, especially the accessibility to education. That is going to be the biggest game changer for all of us. But as for-profits and non-profits have in common, Workforce. How are we going to get the qualified people again? And then when we break that down, how do we keep the qualified people? And this is what the entire future of education is in my mind. And when we look at generations, they say, well, we have the boomers, the Xers, um, which would be us, and we are in the small minority here, but um, you have the Xers, then you have Gen Y and Gen Z. Everyone's sick about hearing about all the generations and saying, well, the sense of entitlement and this but education is the bond that brings us all together. We have boomers who need continued competency to stay relevant on current up-to-date information. We have Gen Y and Gen Z who is already starting to creep into our workforce, and their common bond is they are getting the soft skills and job readiness. So now there's a common language that's being spoken throughout the generations. There's a common need throughout the generations, and that language comes through education. So the learning process, the credentialing and the micro-credentialing and accessibility all balled into a, let's just call it a massive nutshell here, <laughs> but that <laughs> is what excites me about the future. We have so much potential for associations, for business, for, for you name it, industry in general and professionals. That is our future and it's exciting. Well, I like that uh, idea that education is the common bond. It's lifelong learning for, for all of us across all the, the generations, across all our fields and industries. That certainly is something that I can buy into. So um, next to last question, and this is one that we ask of all guests who come on the podcast, and it focuses on your personal learning specifically, and we want to ask it of, of both of you. So what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult, you know, since finishing your formal education? And, and Adrian, we'll start with you. 
Sure. I think the the funnest part, and it happens at least weekly, is facilitating, you know, feasibility and market research for all different associations and trades alike. I I have so much information on all these different groups that are out there and trying to think of really robust, creative ways to make their organization the go-to for that lifelong learning is the most rewarding and fun thing that I do each day. Um, And also, you know, honestly, just learning all these different trades out there. I can't believe how many industries are out there and have no education or don't have a career path for someone or don't have anything that's out there to kind of bring people into their industries that can make them better at what they do every day. Um, so it's it's just, it's a fascinating workforce that we have and to have the privilege to be a part of that and guide them, uh, you know, to, to something rewarding uh, is is. So beneficial. So sitting on that side of the table of facilitating these types of things, I'm learning as well as facilitating. And so to me, that's what's exciting. Well, especially exciting since it's something that happens very frequently in in your current situation. It sounds like at least weekly, if not even daily. Yes. And so Keith, how about you? What's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult? That is a great, great question. I heard you ask that. I'm like, oh, and thinking through. I I will tell you, um, my opinion would be the association experience. And I know that sounds really loose, especially for those um, podcast listeners who um, are thinking, well, we're not in the association space. If you are for profit, if you are nonprofit, to me, that is absolutely irrelevant. Get involved. Volunteer. Become a part of the organization that serves your profession. Sitting on boards, learning, collaborating, having those conversations. And when I go down to its raw infancy here, I was um, in the beginning of my career part of the Florida Society of Association Executives. Actually, 20 years later, I'm still a part of that organization. And we live in Colorado. That just shows the value and dedication, I believe, for um, towards this. But I sat on a think tank. We actually collaborated, and we became the subject matter experts. This is what sparked my passion for education. We literally sat in there, tackled a future challenge and concern, and actually were not disrupted by that as an industry. We actually became ahead of the curve, and we were the disruptor to protect and grow what we needed to based on creating that with a group of subject matter experts. Breaking that down to its rawest, that is how we build credentials. You start with your subject matter experts, you tackle a concern, you address it, you build education around it, and you prepare to protect your industry um, or trade. So if we're looking at you are an automobile dealers association, you are a taxi association, well, if you're aware that there could be a technology like an Uber, you're ahead of the curve. And you understand how to navigate, educate, and prepare for the future changes. So I think the success of any organization, and when I say any, this could be nonprofit, for-profit. To me, it's irrelevant of your tax status. You need to be ahead of the curve by understanding what you're looking at, learning through that. And to me, the think tanks, the association space, your volunteer work, and the flat-out give back that you do for your profession that's where it's at for me. And that's what gets me excited. And that was truly my best learning experience, I think, ever. Thanks for sharing that. We've, uh, you know, all of us here have deep roots in the, in the association space. And I think uh, a theme I heard in both of you that I, I know Salisa and I both agree with is just 
just the sheer diversity of experience um, you get in dealing with different types of people, different types of organizations, different industries, different fields. Um, it is a, a learning experience uh, every day. Um, so thanks to, to both of you for for sharing that. And, and thanks to both of you for being on the show. I think, uh, at least by my estimation, this has been a pretty good uh, first four-way conversation on the, the podcast. And I know, um, I know there are going to be listeners out there who want to know more about what you do. So um, for those who do want to learn more about what you do and connect with the two of you, where should they go? Uh, Adrian, I'll ask you to, to tell us that. Sure. You can go to our website and find our contact information on there. So our, our primary company is Limitless. And so you can go to www.limitlessasr, A as in Apple, S as in Sam, R as in Roger.org. Or if you want to find out more information about the National Credentialing Institute that's up and coming uh, by year's end, it's National Credentialing Institute. Org. Couldn't be any longer. Uh, otherwise, you can take Keith and I through any of those uh, any of those portals. We're, we're available at any given time for, for anything. And that's one thing we stand very uh, true and proud of. Any resources you may need, any guidance, even just a conversation on, hey, what's going on in my space? Where can you direct me? We're happy to have those conversations at any time. And we don't charge for that kind of thing because we just love what we do. Well, great. Well, we'll be sure to um, get those links into the uh, show notes so that they're easy for folks to, to access. And in the meantime, Adrian, Keith, thanks so much for coming on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you. Thank you both so much. We really appreciate what you guys do. These podcasts are phenomenal. So thank you and please continue the good work. That concludes the interview with Adrian and Keith Segundo. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 196. When you check out the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as that helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. And we'd also be really grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple, and that'll put you in the right place. So Lisa and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, reviews and rating help the podcast to show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out what CompartNers has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash CompartNers. Find out more about Authentic Learning Labs at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. And finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com leading lifelong learning. And of course, you can share us with others there. However you do it, please spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.